Maybe some of you, like me, can remember that first uh, child when you're driving to the hospital to give birth to that first baby. Um, we didn't give the birth, some of us men, but you know what I mean. You're, you are just pedal to the metal, driving furiously to the hospital, so excited, uh, ready to get there to give birth to your first child. And uh, I certainly have that memory of rushing down 121. Uh, we had awoken that morning at 4 a.m. And, and hit all the red lights on the way to, to Baylor, Frisco, and then gave birth to our first child, to Braxton, uh, oh, so many, about uh, nine... 11 years ago, getting my kids confused. <laughs> so uh, you also may remember the drive home because after you've given birth to that first child and you're scared out of your mind, you're like, are you really going to let me take this child home? Uh, yes, you have to take him home. Uh, you get back in that same car and you drive about a third of the speed that you drove on the way to the hospital. Uh, you've got both hands on the wheel. You're looking all different directions. The doors are locked. Uh, you're looking back uh, in the car seat behind you. you. Are just exercising all the caution, all all the care that you that you can as you drive uh, this new little life home that you just love so much. I share that illustration with you because uh, we love our children. Uh, the thrill of the birth of a baby uh, is wonderful and exciting and miraculous and, and, and stirs all sorts of love within uh, a parent's heart. And this morning, I want us to look uh, not at the birth of a baby, but the birth of a body, the body of Christ when God's church is born in Acts chapter 2, uh, God gives birth to this new thing, this special thing that he loves. It's called the body of Christ, the church, or the bride of Christ. And it's special, and it's exciting, and it requires patience and love. Uh, so, that's where we're going uh, this morning as we look at this new series, First Things, First Things from the First Church in Jerusalem. There's actually uh, three God-given institutions that we read about, we find out about in the scriptures. The first institution that God gives is the institution of marriage, uh, right in Genesis 1 and 2, given by God. The second institution that God gives is governance. Uh, government, Genesis chapter 9 um, and Romans 13. Uh, governments are ordained by God. The third institution, though, the one that we're talking about in this series, obviously, is the institution of the church. The church is given by God. It is birthed by God with a special purpose and a special promise that of all the institutions in the world, the church is the only institution that will go into eternity. So um, as we look here in uh, Acts chapter two about the birth of the church, we first need to admit that as we read the book of Acts, there's some difficulties as we try to interpret it and apply it and, and build our theology 
from it, there's some difficulties. And the big question in the book of Acts that we have to ask is, are the stories that we read and the descriptions we have, uh, is the author and is the Holy Spirit's intent that these would be descriptive or prescriptive? Okay, so you see the difference. Descriptive saying, hey, hey, this is just what happened and how it happened versus prescriptive, you should do it like this as well. Now, you may have never thought about this, but it happens particularly in narrative in the scriptures uh, of a little bit more difficulty to interpret. So there uh, are some things that happen in Acts that are kind of difficult to make sense of. The first one being uh, this whole idea of the coming of the Spirit and the Spirit coming on uh, God's people. And you see here in Acts 2 that people begin to speak in tongues because the Holy Spirit descends upon God's people. So we ask ourselves, uh, is that descriptive or prescriptive? The other thing about that difficulty of the coming of the Spirit is that here in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes before the gospel is preached. Verse the normative way that we see throughout Scripture being that people believe, they hear the gospel, and then the Spirit comes. But in Acts, particularly Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19, you have the Spirit coming at uh, the beginning of the experience rather than after the people have trusted in Christ, if that makes sense. Go read those chapters if you're confused. So that's one question, the coming of the Spirit. The second question is, should we all speak in tongues? In verse 4, you see that uh, the Holy Spirit descends upon these people and they begin speaking in these these tongues, these languages that they hadn't spoken in prior. Uh, The next two questions here, just as examples, they kind of go together. Should all churches have services in multiple languages? Kind of related to the question of tongues. They have they're, they're speaking in all these different languages, or should all churches be as, as ethnically diverse as this first church here in Acts chapter 2? You have all these different uh, languages and ethnicities represented at beginning in verse 9 and, and then following. Now, here's a funny one that you may haven't considered, but verse 15 says it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, they're actually being accused of being drunk because of the experience that they're having here. And Peter says, no, wait, it's only nine in the morning. So here's the question. Should all uh, gatherings of the church happen at 9 a.m. on on Sundays? Uh, is, is that the holy time or is that descriptive or prescriptive? We obviously think pretty quickly, oh, that's just descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. But uh, going on. Uh, should we all have common property? In verse 45 of chapter 2, it says how they have all things in common as a church. Uh, should we, as members of Centennial Church, uh, share our property with one another? Uh, verse 46 says that they're meeting in the temple. Should we call our church the temple, or should we have temples as, as Christians? Uh, and then also in verse 46, should we meet in homes? It says that they're not only meeting in homes in verse 46, but they're also gathering house to house. So, uh, should the church, if we really want to get back to the New Testament, should we meet in homes instead of large buildings? Is the church really intended just to be smaller churches that can meet in homes? Is that descriptive or prescriptive? So that's some of the issues uh, that we need to be aware of as we start this study in Acts chapter 2, because it can be a little bit complex. And I'm going to pull some things out that I, I think are prescriptive, but not everything in Acts and not everything in Acts chapter 2 is prescriptive. I think. Uh, if you have the ESV uh, translation, the ESV Bible, the headings that you have in chapter 2 are the same ones that, that I'm probably looking at here, and, and they're helpful. 
Um, they're often helpful. They're very helpful in this case. But at the beginning of chapter 2, uh, the heading in my Bible says the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, further in the chapter, it says uh, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. So Peter begins preaching. And then the third heading in Acts chapter 2 is the fellowship of the believers. Okay, so now I'm going to kind of follow uh, that outline loosely here. And the first thing that we see in Acts chapter 2 about the church, and just going to three kind of main points today that we'll try to cover here in our time. But the first thing that we see about the church from Acts chapter 2 is that the church is birthed by the Spirit. The church is birthed by the Spirit. Uh, think about this as, as the church begins here, and most theologians say this, this is the birth of of this new thing, the church. Now, some people will talk about how the church or God's people exist in the Old Testament, but primarily in the Old Testament, we refer to God's people then as the nation of Israel. But when you get to the New Testament, it seems that God is, is, is going beyond the nation of Israel and the gospel is spreading not just within this one nation, but cross-culturally and, and cross-ethnicities. So the church is birthed, this new thing, Israel in the Old Testament, the church in the New Testament, is birthed right here in Acts chapter 2 where it begins. But I want you to compare or think about this. This just kind of dawned on me this week as just this wonderful, beautiful uh, parallelism and, and symbolism here. That Do you remember at the birth of Christ how, uh, how, how, how was Jesus, the birth of Jesus, uh, conceived? When the angel appears to Mary, you'll remember that Mary is like, how is this going to happen? And the angel says, you will conceive by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give birth in you to the Son of God, Jesus. And here in Acts chapter 2, we see that the church is birthed by the coming of the Holy Spirit. You also think about uh, Luke, who also wrote the... uh, the book of Acts as well as Luke, Luke chapter 3, when Jesus is baptized, it says that the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. What initiates Jesus' ministry is this baptism and this coming of the Holy Spirit. And what initiates the church's ministry here in Acts chapter 2? The coming of the Holy Spirit. The church is birthed by the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon the church and the, and the church has this gift and believers have this presence of the Holy Spirit and as they're gathered here uh, waiting for the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit comes and the church is birthed. Um, if you were to, and what, what that means, that, that the church is birthed by the Spirit, uh, is that God's doing something special with the church. Um, He's empowering the church. He is um, giving his presence to the church. If you were to ask me, uh, or if you were to tell me, hey, Ross, you know, uh, I I really like you. You seem like a good guy. Let's let's hang out sometime and uh, be buds. Uh, But let me tell you something. Uh, Your wife seems to be kind of annoying to me. I, I like you, but I don't really like hanging out with Elizabeth. And so uh, I hope that's okay with you. I hope that doesn't offend you. But I just kind, I just kind of find her hypocritical or uh, a little bit annoying. <laughs> uh, 
Now, what would be my response to that? My response to that would be, hey, you're going to have a hard time being my friend if you don't like my wife. Well, here's the thing. Jesus has a wife. Jesus has a bride. But it's common today to say, hey, I love Jesus, but I don't really care for his church. It's kind of hypocritical. It's kind of annoying. But guess what? The Spirit has given birth to the church. It's a God-ordained thing that Jesus loves the church. He died for the church. He cares for the church. Is the church perfect? Absolutely not. But yet, God has formed this thing, birthed by the Spirit that he loves, that is called the bride, the body and the bride of Christ. See, the church is the embodiment of Jesus. It's called the body of Christ because the head, as we saw in weeks previous in Colossians, Jesus is the head of the church. Colossians 1.18 says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church, that he might be preeminent in all things. Jesus is the head, but Jesus has now ascended to heaven to be with the Father, and he's interceding for us. But he has left his church, the body. We are the embodiment of Jesus on this earth. The body of Christ and the bride of Christ. And you can't say that you love Jesus, but you don't care for his bride. To follow Jesus is to be a part of the bride and the body of Christ. They go together. So as a church, we want to embrace the spirit, the spirit that makes the church special and unique and the only institution, the only organization that Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, we've got some concern about the institution of marriage in our world and in our country. Marriage being redefined, government seeming to come apart. These two institutions are, are, are going through a difficult time and are highly debated. But the church, even though it also has its issues, even though it also has its problem, is gonna go into eternity as God's people. See, the scriptures say that in, in eternity, there won't be government, God will be king, and even marriage will cease. We'll be married, if you will, to Christ. The, the bride of Christ will be reunited with the bridegroom. But for now, we're a part of this church on earth, this body of Jesus representing him. And you can't say, I love Jesus and I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do with his church. I'm fed up with the church. I'm leaving the church. Because Jesus loves the church. It's his own body. It's his bride. Uh, let me, uh, as we continue to kind of talk about what the church is, and we're going to be talking about this in the, in the weeks to come, but I wanted to take a little bit of time here under this point to talk about what the church is and what the church is not. And first of all, negatively, what the church is not, and then positively, what the church is. So a couple things here. We, we, we all have probably heard this, but the church is not a building or a place. That's not what makes the church the church. Um, the church is also not plural for Christians. Sometimes I think some people just think, hey, you put some Christians together and that's just, they're a church because multiple Christians equals church. That's not true. Uh, 
church is not just plural for Christian. Thirdly, uh, church, uh, the church is not merely a human institution or a club. We've said that it's birthed by God. It's his design. It's, it's, it's God forming it. It is not a human institution or something that just preachers have thought up or we thought it'd be a good idea. Hey, get, let's, we all believe in Jesus, so let's get together. No, that's not the way to. Jesus formed the church. It is a God-ordained uh, movement, a God-ordained uh, institution that he is using in spite of its flaws and its hypocrisy and the, the way it fails. Uh, and then fourthly, the church is not just a nice option or an accessory. It's absolutely fundamental to what God is doing and, and, and to his plans. Just like he was using a nation in the Old Testament today, he is using local churches. The church is central to what God is doing in this day and age. So on the positive side, that's what the church is not. Let's think about what the church is. Uh, first of all, the church is an organism. It's alive. Uh, it's, it's, it has life because the spirit is animating. We are born again. We are, uh, are, are new believers, born again into God's family. So the church is, first of all, an organism made up of those who have believed in Jesus and therefore have new life. Secondly, the church is an organization. Sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, I, I just don't like the institutional church or I believe the church is, is an organism, but it's not an organization. It's not an institution. It is an organization. Uh, it, it, it is an institution. And, and Jesus and the apostles have given that organism, organization. There's order, there's structure, there are, there are roles and offices and leadership and practices that God has given to the church to provide order and organization. And thirdly, uh, the church preserves orthodoxy. It preserves truth. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Uh, if you ha leave orthodoxy, if you leave the, the apostles' doctrine, uh, then you can no longer in good faith be called a church. Thus, we have churches and we have some groups that we call cults because they have left orthodoxy. They have denied the fundamentals of the Christian faith that, as has been taught for hundreds and thousands of years. And, and then finally, our fourth O word is that the church practices the ordinances. We see both of those ordinances or sacraments here in Acts chapter 2, both baptism as well as the breaking of bread or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. Um, so, Organism, organization, orthodoxy, and ordinances. The church is not just some nebulous group of Christians. It has a form and it has practices, and order and ordinances and organization. So secondly, not only is the church birthed by the Spirit, but the second part of Acts chapter 2 is that we see that the church is formed by the Word. So the second part of Acts chapter 2 here, beginning in verse 14, uh, all the way through verse 36, Peter gives this first sermon here at, at, at Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. He gives this first sermon, and it's not that long. You can read it. It's, it's shorter than all of the sermons I give. Nevertheless... The church is formed by the word of God, this gospel. And you see, it's this beautiful sermon. And what's Peter talking about? Is he, is he talking about, you know, how to win friends and influence people or have a great marriage or, you know, be a good investor of your, of your money? No, he's talking about the person and the work of Jesus. So the, the church, 
birthed by the Spirit is formed by the Word. The Word is central uh, to, to giving us life because of the gospel and then forming us uh, by the scriptures as they are uh, embraced and taught and applied. As If you go on further in Acts uh, to chapter 17, you see that there's this wonderful group of people that are hearing the gospel in Acts chapter 17, and, and they're really paid a compliment in verse 11 because it says that these Bereans, they were in this town called Berea, it says, these Jews were more noble, more noble than those in Thessalonica. Better get your stuff together, Thessalonica. The Bereans, are, you know, they're, they're looking in the word of God. It says, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They heard the gospel and they says, does this, does this flow with the story that we've already heard through the Old Testament? Uh, does the gospel that you're giving us line up with the truth of scripture? The church is formed and founded upon the truth of the word of God, the gospel and the revealed word of God that has been now given to us uh, inscripturated. We are people of the book. And not only are we uh, people of the book, you see here that we are, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. We are formed by the word, so we prioritize the word of God. And then thirdly, our third point for this morning, uh, not only is the spirit giving us birth and the word forming us as a people, as our foundation, but thirdly, the church is composed of the baptized composed of the baptized. So look with me here if you've got your scriptures, uh, verses 37, beginning of verse 37. I'm going to read through verse 41, and I want you to listen here for faith and for baptism, okay? Uh, and then we'll, we'll explain this a little bit. Beginning of verse 37, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It means that the word of God pierced them. They were convicted. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You've told us the gospel, now what shall we do? And listen to Peter's response in verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what do we have here? We, we see here that these people hear the gospel, that they receive the word, that they, they believe it. And so Peter says, repent, believe the gospel, and then be baptized. And this baptism uh, here is them showing their faith. Uh, we see that the, the Christian faith is not something that's private in our heart. They didn't just pray a prayer and then go on about their lives, but they expressed that salvation. They expressed that faith through baptism. Now, uh, not only is this uh, verse clear, uh, in verse uh, 40, 41, it says, they received his word and were baptized and then were added to the church. Okay, so there's the pattern. They received his word. 
were baptized and were added to the church. Now, we haven't practiced infant baptism at our church, but this passage is actually also one of the places where those who baptize infants, they point to up here above in verse 39, where it says, for this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And so they say that this promise uh, of the new covenant and, and the spirit and salvation is not just for you, but it's for your children. So they use this verse to say that the promise here means that their children also should be baptized. Uh, we'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. But um, here we see that baptism, these ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper are right here at the beginning uh, and integral to the first church. The church is composed of those who are baptized. That's the initiation into the church. So let me ask you, have you been baptized? Uh, have you associated with the people of God through baptism? Maybe you've come to faith, maybe you've received the word, but you have never been baptized. Well, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, we would never say that you can be a disciple of Jesus and not be taught. It says, teach them to obey. But if it's true that you can't be a, a disciple without being taught, it also must be true in the very same verse that you can't be a disciple without being baptized because it says, go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. So let me ask you, if you haven't been baptized, what are you waiting for? Because this According to this passage here, they received the word of God and they were baptized. Now, in weeks to come, we'll look specifically for a great deal of time at verse 42 that begins this way. It says, they, verse 41, they received his word, they were baptized, they were added, and then verse 42 begins with these words, and they devoted themselves. What happened after they believed and they were baptized, they devoted themselves to four practices that we'll be looking at in the weeks ahead, in the weeks ahead. But they heard, they believed, they were baptized, and then they devoted themselves. They gave themselves to Christ and they gave themselves to the church and the practices of the church. Well, let me uh, just wrap up our time uh, together this morning with a couple, two points of application. God loves the church, uh, and we should love the church. So just two simple points of application. Pray for your church, and secondly, give yourself to Christ's church. Pray for your church. Pray for Centennial Church. Pray for the universal church. As we go through this worldwide pandemic and as we are in such difficult times where people are, are looking for hope and for meaning and for relationship, pray that our church and many churches in our area and all around the world would be effective in sharing the hope of the gospel and that we would be able to reach people and disciple people, baptize people in the faith. Pray for your leaders. 
Pray for the season in our church that we're going through. Jesus loves the church. Pray for his church. And then secondly, give yourself to Christ's church. Verse 42 begins, they devoted themselves. Now let me just challenge you. Are you devoted to Christ's church? Uh, I'm, I'm devoted to Jesus, but I mean, I don't really know if I could say I'm devoted to his church. If you're devoted to Jesus, then you should be devoted to his church because it's his bride. It's his body. It's how he's accomplishing what he's accomplishing in this world. You know, it's, it's uh, not uncommon in this day and in this area that at the drop of a hat, if a kid has a practice, if a kid has a game, hey, can't get to church because we got this other conflict. And church is the first thing to be brushed aside, given up on. That's not being devoted to the church. I'm concerned, as I've said before, that as we have gone through this season where it's online only, that we're getting really used to that. And that's going to kind of become the norm. The church gathered. And when we have an opportunity to gather again, we need to gather again physically. My fear is that because we are, have, have now become used to online church, we will be even more reticent to gather as the church. And let me say, may it not be. I hope that you are not getting used and accustomed to online church so that when we can gather, you, from now on, you know, you wake up or a kid has the sniffles or you just don't feel good. It's like, ah, heh, we'll just watch it online. Be devoted to the church. And maybe, how about this one in terms of devotion to the church? Devotion, devotion to what God's doing in building his kingdom. If you get to the end of the month, and yeah, there's a little bit left over to give to God's work. You get the tax refund, you spend what you want on the toy, and eh, there's a little bit left over. Maybe I'll give it to the church. That's not being devoted to Christ and his church. Jesus loved us so much that he laid his life down and bled for the church. She may not be perfect. She isn't. But if Jesus loved her that much, we should love her too. Do you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have sent Jesus to come and rescue us, to save us from our sins, but not just to give us forgiveness and to await salvation when we die or when Jesus returns, but you have placed us in a family. You have given us your church to become a new family, an additional family for us. Father, help our church to honor and glorify you. Help our church to love each other. Help our church to love our neighbors. Help us to take the gospel out into our community. 
Jesus, we thank you that you have gone to the ultimate length to love us and make us your people. We pray, God, that we would love one another the way you have loved us. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.